After serving your country loyally for over 15 years, climbing up the military ranks, and graduating at the top of your class from France's premier military institution, you have now held your position as a general in the French army for over a year. A high-ranking officer approaches you, leads you to a room, and asks you, without explanation, to copy a letter that was waiting on the table for you. Not being one to disobey orders, you comply. But as you set your pen down, you are handcuffed and told that you are being accused of treason. And just like that, your career was over. After the French suffered a humiliating defeat in the Franco-German War in 1870, revanchism, literally revengeism, was prominent in France, creating a general atmosphere of distrust and hatred for Germany. The military intelligence service in France closely watched the German embassy with spies on the inside. And one day, a French housekeeper recovered a torn up scrap of paper from the trash. On it were classified details of the French's newest military technology, information that could only have been leaked by a spy working for the German government. Alfred Dreyfus, a young French general, didn't look anything like the average spy. He graduated top of his class from France's premier military school, and had settled down with a wife and two kids. But he was from Alsace, a French province which the Germans controlled during the Franco-German War, and some of his relatives still lived there. This, and his Jewish heritage, combined with rampant anti-Semitism, made Dreyfus the perfect scapegoat. Some high-ranking officers approached Dreyfus and asked him to write a letter similar to the one that they had recovered, in the hopes that his handwriting would be a close match. Although it was only vaguely similar, the officers had already made up their minds. Dreyfus was arrested and charged with treason. After he was issued a trial, his accusers realized that the evidence against Dreyfus was weak, but the reputation of the French military was on the line. They had to assure the French people that the military was strong, and that the spy had been found and arrested. To get Dreyfus convicted, they decided to assemble an incriminating secret file, which would be illegally passed to the judge, but withheld from the defense for national security reasons. The biased, incriminating documents in this file essentially condemned Dreyfus to guilt, leaving him and his defense helpless. Before any of this, a man named Maximilian Schwarzkopfen a German military attaché in the German embassy, was already under the watchful eye of the French military, and he had in fact been communicating with the real spy. The day after Dreyfus was accused of treason, Italian diplomat Alessandro Panizzardi sent a telegram, now known as the Panizzardi telegram, to Schwarzkopfen about the Dreyfus affair which was unfolding. In it, he advised Schwarzkopfen that it would be wise to publicly deny relations with Dreyfus. However, the telegram was encoded, and an encoded telegram being sent from an Italian diplomat to the German embassy so shortly after Dreyfus' arrest seemed suspicious, 
even though the actual contents of the message were quite innocent. The code Panizzardi used in his telegram was a standard Italian code originally designed to shorten telegrams, which made them easier and cheaper for the Italian government to send in large quantities. This code in particular was created by an Italian engineer named Paolo Baravelli, published in his book Dictionary for Correspondences in Numbers. This encoded common words and phrases as a series of numbers, making messages easier and cheaper to send. Each part of the message was encrypted in one of four ways. Most commonly, four-digit groups, representing words and common phrases. And then there were also one, two, and three-digit groups, with single digits representing vowels and punctuation marks, two-digit groups represented consonants, grammatical forms, and some types of verbs, and finally, three-digit groups represented syllables. Again, most messages are comprised primarily of words and common phrases, which are encoded as four-digit groups. But certain parts of speech, names, and other terms had to be spelled out with shorter groups of one to three digits. Because of this, the majority of Baravelli's dictionary was lists of words and phrases, with each page containing 100 items numbered 0 through 99. To encode a particular word or phrase, you simply look it up in the dictionary, which is organized alphabetically, and then you find the two-digit page number that that word or phrase appears on, and you write that down, followed by the number of the word or phrase on the list from 0 to 99, which results in a four-digit group. This makes the encoding process simple, which is what led to Baravelli's code being so commonly used for communication. But since the code was so widely used, and the key was published as a book, it didn't obscure or hide the contents of messages at all, so some senders, including Panizzardi, used certain rules of super-encipherment in conjunction with his code to hide the meaning of their messages. A super-encipherment is a mixture of multiple enciphering or encoding techniques, which combine to create a stronger and more difficult-to-break cipher. In this case, the super-encipherment Panizzardi used was simple. For four-digit groups, the sender and receiver would agree upon a certain order for the digits and swap them around as they encoded the message. For example, instead of having the first two digits in the group represent the page number and the second two represent the line number, they might agree to have the first and third digits represent the page, while the second and fourth represent the line. This slightly obscures the meaning of your message from anyone who might intercept it, which makes your communications marginally more secure. The decoding process, even with a superencipherment, is trivially easy. All the recipient has to do is reorder the numbers in each group according to the agreed-upon rules, and then look up the resulting groups in Baravelli's dictionary to reveal the plain text. But since a superencipherment is so easy to implement and easy to decode, there's little incentive to avoid using one, even if the security of your message would only be increased slightly. Usually, superenciphering your code only has effects if the message was intercepted. But in this case, the superencipherment had an unintended effect on the Dreyfus affair because of the way it affects cryptanalysis. As a cryptanalyst who has intercepted a normally enciphered message, knowing if you have the right key is easy. For virtually every incorrect key, the resulting plain text will be complete gibberish. But when trying to crack a superenciphered coded message, 
The codebook turns each group of digits into a sensible word or phrase, regardless of whether that's the correct plain text or not. This allowed the French authorities who intercepted the Panazzotti telegram to create multiple plausible keys that revealed different coherent plain texts. Since in Verivelli's code, names have to be spelled out in groups of length 1 to 3, the cryptanalysis process was easy for the French government. The French army easily deciphered the message simply by looking for Dreyfus's name, but this resulted in two different plausible readings of the Panazzotti telegram, one which clearly acquitted Dreyfus of any involvement with the Italians, and likely therefore the Germans, but another which suggested that Dreyfus was working with the Italians and was therefore not loyal to the French. The correct reading of the telegram was finally established as, quote, If Captain Dreyfus had not had relations with you, it would be wise to have the ambassador denied officially to avoid press comment, end quote. This suggests nothing about Dreyfus working with a foreign government. Even after confirming this plain text, however, French General Mercier, an anti-Dreyfusard who had ordered the initial investigation into Dreyfus, was not satisfied and stopped this version of the telegram from being used as evidence in Dreyfus's trial, although the more sinister interpretation may have been included in the secret file illegally passed to the judge. Thanks to lies, corruption, and deception, Dreyfus was convicted, and after being publicly humiliated, assaulted, and stripped of his rank, he was shipped off to Devil's Island, a hellish prison with rampant malaria in French Guiana. The island was primarily reserved for political prisoners like Dreyfus, condemning them to a torturous existence and likely a slow death. Dreyfus was kept on the scorpion-infested island in solitary confinement for over four years, despite the fact that he was actually innocent. Within the year after Dreyfus's arrest, the French military realized that another member of the general staff, Charles Esterhazy, had handwriting that matched almost exactly the writing of the note that was used to convict Dreyfus. Moreover, they had found another letter in the German embassy that explicitly identified him as the real spy. However, after briefly taking him to trial, the court unanimously acquitted him in closed session. Around the same time, Stories about the questionable evidence used to convict Dreyfus were leaked to the press and immediately sparked public outrage. But especially in the face of public scrutiny, the French military could not afford to admit that it had falsely accused Dreyfus and locked an innocent man behind bars for the rest of his life. To protect its image, Major Henri of the French army forged letters and other evidence which explicitly incriminated Dreyfus, the most notable of which was known as Le Faux Henri, this divided the public into two diametrically opposed camps, those who believed that Dreyfus was innocent, known as the Dreyfusards, and those who believed he was guilty, the anti-Dreyfusards, which made it one of the most influential and divisive events around the turn of the century. Since the secret file that was used to convict Dreyfus had been destroyed after his trial, the French general staff was now forced to reconstruct the lost Panizzardi telegram from memory since the only evidence of even its existence was in the secret file. Naturally, thanks to their anti-Dreyfus bias, the new recreated version read, quote, Captain Dreyfus arrested. The Minister of War has proofs of his relations with Germany. Parties informed in the greatest secrecy. 
my emissary is warned. End quote. Around the same time, General Henri and the masterful forger he was working with were both found dead. Although many believe that these deaths were not suicides, they nonetheless prompted further investigation into Dreyfus's guilt. In late 1898, the French Supreme Court finally decided to reopen Dreyfus's case, and by examining the recreated version of the Panizzardi telegram, the court was able to determine that the new translation must have been wrong, since proofs and relations, two words that appeared in the telegram, were alternate candidates for the same group of letters, so they couldn't have appeared together. Eventually, the court concluded that, quote, the telegram shows that contrary to another telegram invoked against Dreyfus, Dreyfus had had no relations with foreign powers referred to by this telegram, end quote. Because of this discovery, along with other evidence of corruption and deceit, Dreyfus was brought back from Devil's Island and forced to stand trial a second time. During the trial, anti-Semitic nationalist protesters were arrested in Paris for illegal demonstrations and violence, and a fanatic shot Dreyfus's lawyer, causing him to be in critical condition for a few days in the heat of the trial. The chief prosecutor, recognizing that Dreyfus was in fact innocent and knowing that he couldn't beat their case, instead tried to weaken the defense's arguments by pointing out minor flaws in marginally related aspects of the case. So despite overwhelming evidence for Dreyfus's innocence, the court decided, again, to save the reputation of the French army and convicted Dreyfus for a second time of treason, this time with, quote, extenuating circumstances, hinting that the court wasn't actually entirely convinced of his guilt. Even though Dreyfus had just been convicted, French President Loubet pardoned Dreyfus, and after five years of gathering evidence and putting together a case, Dreyfus reopened an investigation. Officially, all charges against him were dropped, and he was promoted to Chevalier of the Legion of Honor in the same courtyard where he had been publicly degraded 11 years before. During his promotion ceremony, the crowds of people who 11 years earlier were calling for death to the traitor, now instead chanted, long live Dreyfus. And in response, he proudly shouted back to them, no, gentlemen, no, I beg of you. Long live France.